0: Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review
1: all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Ram, Eno to
0: XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between. Then crank the boombox, turn the lockman up to 10, and, ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Do you still like the intro, music, the intro thing? You ask me this way too often. What are you trying well, to say? I, I don't know. I listen to it a lot. I'm like, I wonder if people dig
1: it or not. It's it's like saying, do you like the Nike swoosh? <laughs> right. Like That's how are so you, how are you going to get rid of that? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh-huh. part of our our legacy and our, our lexicon. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll, we'll change it. We'll I'll revisit it after we finish the year calendar year 1980. How about that?
0: Sounds good. Maybe we'll do a, a different one for each year. That sounds good. Okay, welcome to '80s Music Exposed. I'm Henry, and I'm Chris, and this week we're going to talk about July of 1980. So I wanted to start this episode with
1: something different. I'm not. I don't want to. We're not going to go over um, how we're rating and reviewing the records because we've done that every episode. If you don't know by now. Go back and check one of the older episodes. If you don't know, now you know. And I don't mean to sound harsh, but yeah, just check one of the older episodes because we we say that every time, and I don't want to be redundant. What I do want to spend in the beginning talking about, Henry's, we got a new review on
0: iTunes. Yeah, Fortrant Twenty Trent said to us. He said that uh, I think one of my biggest beasts with the show is that the criteria used to decide what song to review is based on if the album was a five star rated album. On the All Music Guide mm-hmm. And if the album is Grammy nominated So given that if my favorite 80 songs Happen to be singles There won't be mention of them Okay, first of all like The show didn't, doesn't exist because To review the singles you like
1: uh, uh, Well, right? first of all Thanks for the for the review Sorry, Trent I mean, no, actually Thanks for listening <laughs> Thanks oh, yeah, for the I, review I do appreciate that Um, But, yes So we kind of set up Our own rules for the show Because it's Well, I mean, bluntly It's our show But I think really what I was looking for to do with the show is try to review some stuff that uh, wasn't necessarily what you thought of when you thought of an 80s program. So you're not going to hear just
0: us talk about men without hats and stuff like that. His his thing is that that the albums we're reviewing didn't shape the 80s sound, and I'm not sure that that's really what we want to do anyway. I'm not sure that they didn't either, but I, but I, okay, that's fine. That's I, just what he says. I
1: would, what I would like to, to restate as the mission of the show, and I'm again glad he's listening and I'm glad for his input. Me too. Is we were going back and reviewing stuff that got really good reviews then, whether it shaped the sound of, uh, pop radio or not, I don't know. And see if we remembered them or not, or if they were something worth going back and checking out to maybe reshape the way you thought of the eighties. So that was kind of my original intention. Second of all, by all means, Twitter on Twitter. Send tech, me a message. Yeah. Send us a message and tell us, Hey, we cover this. We would love to cover, uh, songs yeah. and records, um, from bands that you guys want to hear from. I mean, most of the singles that he's into probably came from albums that we could definitely review. So I, I think, I think. I think he had some fair criticisms, but I also yeah. thought he went a little far with
0: some of that. Um, well, he, he said he was going to keep listening. He said he thinks some of what we're reviewing is boring. Right. Well, and and I it, mean, admit that's probably true. I think true. some of what we're reviewing it's, is it's boring. It's not supposed to be. And like, that's
1: what I'm going to say when I review it is I didn't think it was that good. He,
0: he also says that you only hear one portion of a single song. Now, the, the reason why that is uh, 420 Trent is that uh, if I put the whole song on the thing— then we get yanked from right. We from don't. Places we, we don't have it.
1: the money to buy the rights for yeah. the whole song. Also, even if we did it anyway, which we maybe could get away with for a little while, we only we want to keep the show under an hour so that it's a listenable podcast. That hopefully, you know, you're not like, oh God, I don't, I can't do all of July It's two 50. hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. So we don't to do five at least five albums uh, a show. We can't listen to the whole song anyway, but, but, Trent, but don't you think, Henry? Don't you agree that the point of this is? is exactly what I felt like he happened to him. Yeah. If you don't feel like you're hearing enough of the song, we're
0: encouraging people to go back and listen to these songs on your own because – that's what the show's what about. What the show's about. And sorry I came in a little hot on your 420 trend. I really do appreciate you writing into us. So it, we do like we do want to interact with our listeners. Right. And again,
1: anybody out there listening if you want to send us something that you'd like to hear reviewed, by all means, let's do Lucky it.
0: Lucky Lucy said that she's listened to all the episodes so far. She says we sound like regular guys and not professional critics. We are regular guys. She says we know a lot about music, but it's not like she's listening to people who work at MTV. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> and, uh, and, and now, she says it's getting better. Maybe it's because we're getting a little more used to talking about it or keeping on pace or something. Probably. Uh, she probably doesn't like when we bash on fans right off the bat. But, yeah. Uh, so sorry they, for that. But go hot.
1: <laughs> thanks, everybody, for reviewing the show. And, again, hit us up on Twitter
0: um, if you want to talk to us directly. We'd love to right. talk. We're at 80s eighties uh, Exposed on Twitter. And we're now on Spotify. So you can find us there. I was worried for a while that we're going to get there. But we're on Spotify, we're on Spotify. everywhere you listen to podcast. That's what the podcast people say. And more and more people everywhere. are listening
1: each episode. We thank you for yeah. that. And um, So let's get to the music, Henry. Or well, actually, before we get to the music, let's talk about significant events from July of 1980 to get everybody in the
0: mood. Okay. Airplane opened in the theaters. That was a seminal movie for me as Is this the one that, where the, the plane is tied in a knot? On the poster and, and Leslie Nielsen, right? Zahn. Leslie Nielsen
1: is the yeah, yeah. This is the and this, this let's like,
0: change comedy. I have mean, you ever seen a grown man naked? Yeah, the whole that the one. whole bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I it you, was it tell was tell me the, tell me Bill. Do you like
1: gladiator movies? It was one of the first films that I think as a kid I saw over and over and over. I know I saw Star Wars over and over, but I yeah. can't remember. And I'll tell you another thing I remember about airplane is it's one of the first movies I ever went to that people were openly. Like, hilariously laughing in the theater. Like, people were just guffawing and, like, falling, side-splitting laughter. I know. I didn't see it. Was it rated? It had to be rated R. I don't think it was. PG was a lot different thing back in the early 80s. I think there was that one second where they showed boobs in that movie, and that
0: was was it. And I remember the lady going crazy and and the line appearing, like, people would slap her. Then, right, right. And then right. the next guy had a baseball bat, and the next guy had a gun, and the next guy had a, Right. And there's another. Why do I remember all these bits of this suddenly? Yeah. So back then, you could make those kind of. Like, could you make the gladiator jokes? Could you make fun of
1: gay people? Could yes. Could you make the joke where you've got guys in a line with chainsaws and boxing gloves it, getting ready to, getting to hit a woman? Hitting a woman who is hysterical. Right. Mm, I don't know. That was the that's, 80's that's another story. podcast. Um, Ronald Reagan accepted the rep. Uh, I can't read today. Ronald Reagan accepts the Republican nomination for the president.
0: The beginning of the end. <laughs> for dun, all of us. And everybody attached to it, and you never heard the end of it. Yep. Yeah. I have a segue for this later on that I'm going to drop on you. But go ahead.
1: I put this one in, Henry. I don't know if, if you find it mind blowing, but I find both parts of it mind blowing. The new world record for the mile was set in July of 1980 at 3 minutes, 48 seconds, and 8 tenths by Steve Ovid. Mm-hmm. Just to tell you now how far we've come, the new world record, the current world record, is 3 minutes,
0: 43 right. seconds, and 13 tenths. Call Stephen Pinker. Everyone is getting better
1: <laughs> at all things. I don't even. I don't even think <laughs> five whole seconds. Yeah, I don't even. Seriously, but that's that not is a the, lot. That is. But the most amazing part of that to me is that there are human beings that could run a mile in under four minutes. All right, so uh, that was July. That were the significant events of July 1980. Henry, tell us what the
0: first record is. First record. It's called Freedom of Choice by a little band called Devo. And here is Gates of Steel.
1: All right, Henry. Start us off.
0: Okay, so this is Devo's third record. It's considered their big, sor- their biggest one. It's got "Whip It" on it that everybody's heard. It was produced by a guy named Robert Margolies, who is the same guy that did synthesizer work for people like Stevie Wonder. And all those things. So it, I, I did take a look at some of the the albums before this one, and it, I'm, you're, I'm surprised at how uh, concise and well done the keyboards were on it. That's one of the things that that struck me a lot. What about you?
1: Yeah. So this I, I have mixed feelings about Freedom of Choice because obviously it, it made them household names for a while. Yeah. It also set the impression, I don't know if you had this when you were a kid, but it set the impression for me for a long time that Devo was just kind of a synth uh joke band, or a novelty band, kind of like in uh-huh. the 90s, Presidents of the United States of America. Yeah. When in fact, when I went back and dug back through their catalog in the 90s, I think the first two records are infinitely better, but they're guitar-based records, and they're more, um to me, serious. They're more like... Um, they sound like a post-punk band with a um, a mission it's, and an it, attitude. It, it's
0: interesting you can say that because my sh- my show notes say that too. That of the two before this, I, th- I happen to like Duty Now for the Future more than I like this one. I, but th- I, I thought that was just because I like it a little bit raw, you know. And are, are, like, are we not is, men? Is my favorite, but this is like the polished one.
1: But that well, that, that's my other point. But going back and reviewing it now, I think I judged it unfairly oh, then yeah. because of Whip It. and I listened to it now, and I didn't realize how subversive mm-hmm. it was I, at the time. Neither I mean, one of us would have the, the 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 song "Freedom of Choice," where I didn't really realize because I didn't listen closely enough as a kid. The lyric uh, "Freedom of choice is what you got. Freedom from mm, choice right. is what you want." I'm like, that is that not Describing what we're living through right now, yes. like the yes. freedom from they're,
0: choice, people are they, controlling they were, America. They're you know? a prophet, that They were prophets. Yes. Hero so P H E T
1: S. Yeah. And so I don't. So I, I
0: listened to Freedom of Choice, the album in new in a new light. I think what you're saying is maybe a version of what I would say, which is like the punk edge has kind of gone away to a degree but perhaps that's okay.
1: But it was like they were right.
0: reaching for something new and they and they tried
1: out the synth thing and they pretty much dominated it, yeah. which is cool. But I don't think they did get any less political. I just assumed because of Whippet that they became some sort of joke band. I think they probably would tell you uh Whippet probably ruined their <laughs> possibly ruined their career. I think they would rather have been less well known but have kept their reputation as opposed to becoming a band that is on the pretty in pink soundtrack, or whatever, you know. I,
0: I don't. I don't know if it was on there, but I'm saying, supposedly he got the idea for whip it from a book or something, and it was about a farmer who uh, whipped who whipped his wife's clothes off or something like that. So there was like this might be the first encounter somebody like you and I would have had in the '80s with S and M. But of I don't stuff.
1: think I don't think they ever intended for. Um,
0: when I was a teenager,
1: for my dad to come bouncing through the room going, mm-hmm. whip it, whip it good, da, 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 <laughs> da, 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 da.
0: And, and Right. got it has him singing a song. Right. <laughs> my,
1: yeah, my dad, who's, you know, from... About S&M. Yeah, from two generations before, who doesn't care a thing about Devo, but is walking through the house going, da-da-da-da-da. But that's been da, a bit
0: of a recurring theme, if you think about it, so some of the stuff in the 80s that we listened to, that the strength of the song caused people to accept... Ideas that were not really accepted on the surface, like maybe like with Townsend. Remember we talked. But about I that? guess what bothers me, and, and and this is maybe something we can
1: uh, we can go into deeper uh, on at another time, is is that so? You hear these artists now saying, "Please, political candidate X, stop using my song because you don't even know what my song means." Like Bruce Springsteen was so angry. Republicans kept wanting to use "Born in the USA." Born in the USA, which, by the way, my dad was a and is a died-in-the-wool Republican, is one mm-hmm. of his favorite songs. Right. My dad has has never listened to the lyrics because Born in the USA is not a pro USA song.
0: The 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 hook is right. So-
1: and I guess what I'm saying is, like Bruce Springsteen would rather people not use it inappropriately than use it. So I don't know if Devo would be happy that people were
0: running around singing "Whip It" all the time that didn't really get it. Well, I think some you of You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but some of their deeper stuff really is lost. They're like, the meaning of the lyrics is lost in the groove, right? Right. But that's that's um, probably just the quintessential problem everybody's going to have. If you write a great song that people love, they don't. But they, then they became one-hit wonders that get lumped in with, like, men without hats and stuff, and they're not yeah. that at all. So. But this record is, uh, from beginning to end, is uh, remarkably uh, cohesive, Right. Very much so. Consistent.
1: Although I will um, tell you this. I don't know. I, I, something else I would like our listeners to notice is I can definitely tell the songs that were written uh, before they decided to go uh, keyboard-esque. And there's a whole batch on this record. Um, about half the songs are still guitar-driven songs. And then they did the keyboard experimental thing, and they had about five songs, and they kind of mix them up. Mm-hmm. But if you listen closely, it's obvious which ones are which. I found, and Henry, I don't know if you found this as well, that the they seemed more comfortable mix-wise with the guitar-based songs. There's a little bit more oomph to them. I don't know that they knew how, or I don't know if they nailed the, the synth-driven uh production, because I felt like every time there was a synth song, oh, really? I had to turn it up a little bit, or I had to adjust the EQ a little bit, and then the guitar song would come in, and I'd be like, oh, that sounds... Uh- that sounds right. I did right.
0: read. What is one of the, one of the guys? I think his name is Casale, C A S L E. I think he did a Reddit AMA one time. And don't I, it's not in my notes. I, it didn't make it for some reason. But my memory says that he was not a fan of the production because he thought it kind of took their balls away. That's exactly
1: what I, I, I think I'm hearing. The guitar-based mm-hmm. stuff still sounded to me like um, garage rock punk kind of feel but but then then the keyboardy stuff seemed kind of twee mm -hmm. and it wasn't really the keyboards fault. it just sounded like it wasn't mixed
0: but they're sort of they're not angry they're uh angular sort of herky-jerky delivery remained
1: intact like they didn't
0: they didn't push that away one of the things i noticed is that the drums on it are not it seems like to me that I don't know this to be true. and Maybe music people, you can correct me on this, but it seems like a lot of synth driven music is somehow synced up with time code in some way. I'm not hearing it on this album. So it's like it, synth is treated as a, as an instrument in and of itself that plays above, plays ahead and behind of the note. Just like every other b- instrument. Every yes. other instrument. And in then other records don't seem to be like, if you listen to a new order record, I think you're going to hear some stuff on the beat. Yeah, or craft work. You yeah. like these, the quintessential, like locked in. It's going to be locked in. Yeah. To a time code. Um, but, and, and so if you like Devo, even if you don't like Devo, or if you think you might like Devo, listen to this, but also go back to their other two records. Cause I mean, I think that those, those were great also. I think, uh, Are We Not Men is their, is their
1: best album. And, and it's the one before this one. And it's, it's great too. But I'm going to recommend this as one of my recommends. Yep. Um, because personally i really think it was the uh, really one of the best american bands that uh, went in the in the synth direction i think it's one of the uh, definitely something from the
0: 80s that you don't want to miss the problem with it it with with Devo was that their delivery got sort of caricaturized over well, time right?
1: I, I don't know that that was their fault though i think no, everyone wanted them to be whippet or, but i think
0: but you know like we were looking like you, what you said before we were looking at this band through the eyes of a 13 year old kid Right, you know who, you know, or not a thirteen-year-old kid, a nine-year-old, right? Sure, to do that. But anyway, uh, one of my recommends also. Okay, so the next record we're
1: going to talk about is a ba- oh, is a band is a record called Closer, and it's by the band Joy Division. Okay, so I have to start on this one by by saying right up front that like Closer is one of my top ten albums of all time. So I'm, you're not going to hear anything from me, but a glowing
0: review of Closer. I, I think it probably goes for both of us, right? So, uh, so maybe we just set this up like a yeah. total jerk fest. To I guess this record? yeah. I mean, I
1: guess we should just let people know. We're, yeah, we we're not uh, unbiased. I I got to Joy Division backwards. When I was a kid, I discovered New Order, a band that um, Joy Division became. When their lead singer committed suicide, they continued and became New Order. Um, I discovered New Order in the early 90s. It was one of my seminal, I'm trying to be indie rock hipster (laughs) bands. And then I, of course, did the research and went back to Joy Division, and they blew my mind. If you know about Joy Division already, or if you know about this record, this is, to me, one of the seminal post-punk uh, bands. One of the bands that is, it, it provides the bridge between punk rock and, I guess, what became New Wave. And honestly, Closer, to me, is one of the first records that does that, because their, their first record was called Unknown Pleasures. And it's definitely an angular, guitar-based, serious, heavy, post-punk record. Closer, has uh, very much like Freedom of Choice, has a mixed bag of songs, with about half of them being Unknown Pleasure-esque, and half of them starting to bring in not just synthesizers, but more of a disco-y or dance kind of vibe. Uh, I think you might have heard that a little bit on Isolation, which mm-hmm. is the quintessential song for that, but... With that said, I, and, and if you know anything about New Order, New Order was definitely a dancey type synthy, uh, band. But Closer is kind of like melding, is a, is a beginning to meld Joy Division into New Order, which I think a lot of people think of New Order as, well, Ian Curtis died and then they got soft and they became a dance band. I think.
0: They were already headed there,
1: even if Ian Curtis had lived. I think he was. You think into- they
0: just continued the journey?
1: Right. I think he would have gone with them on that journey. I don't think it was some sort of thing where Ian Curtis had this um, ethos of post punk uh, mentality and the rest of them didn't.
0: Yeah. My story with this is very similar to yours. I mean, you and I grew up listening to music together. So we probably discovered this music uh, around about the same time. I know that this is, uh, this was their second and final album.
1: Right. They only had two records, both produced by a guy named Martin Hannett, right. which I, I don't know if you read this in your research, Henry, but, um, Martin Hannett is praised for his production and the sound that he had on these two Joy Division records. It's legendary and people loved it. And it actually shaped the sound of a lot of other bands trying to cop it. Right. Joy Division didn't never liked it. They didn't like it on, um, unknown pleasures and they hated it on closer. It kind of, the le, the legend of the band is kind of like they, he was such an odd, uh, controlling yes. type that they never really felt they had any say. Uh-huh. And he just bullied them into the production that he wanted. But it's funny to me that they, they, even to this day, they still don't like the production. So, classic records, right?
0: For those that don't know, like, well, Peter Hook uh, is considered one of the most sort of, how would you say this about bass playing for him? Uh, He's, he's got his own easily style, definable. easily
1: definable.
0: Right. And he said that one of the remarks, he said he was upset about the effect that the guy put, that Martin put on the guitars, tried to call him out on it, and Martin t- uh, told him to piss off. Yeah, that's in, basically in what way. he taught him all the time. And I think, it, it, and after listening to it, I realized that the effects and everything on the guitar were so important.
1: Yeah, I see. It's record. funny because I I have to disagree with the band yeah. being a Joy Division. How note, screwed I've, up was that? I've gotten outtakes that they've had re, um uh, redone mm-hmm. of
0: songs, and it doesn't sound as good. See, the, <laughs> one of the things that you got to that I think the uninitiated you really have to buy into the vocabulary right first, and if you're not if you're not there, then it's kind of hard probably to to get on board. You, you, right. You, you have to, and, and the production on the record allows you to do that. Right. To get into there. That's why I think
1: yeah. if, if we're talking to people that are newbies to joy division, mm-hmm. closer is a much more palatable
0: album to start with than unknown pleasures. Actually. Especially now that it's been remastered. Um, right. I think, I think you'll really um, enjoy it. We, when I was, a kid, when we were younger, I think I listened to it. Pro- it had probably been dubbed. I had a cassette player. And it had probably been dubbed off of one of your CDs or something. But uh, it, back then, it came across as sort of warbling and mysterious, probably because of the flat response from spe- the speakers and stuff. But you know, even now that the warbling is stripped away from it, I can hear it's still mysterious. You know, oh, it's yeah. still, reta- even after that sort of layer, it, even after it's dialed in and all, and everything pops off the speaker just right, it's still mysterious. Well, and, and just to give a little bit more background about this record, if you're not a Joy Division
1: nut like we are, uh, this record was released literally months after Ian Curtis uh, hung himself in his home, which he did on the eve. And when I say on the eve, I mean the day before they were leaving to do their first tour of America. Which was kind of their big break, like their big thing. They thought they were on their way and he literally, um, hung himself the night before. Closer had already been recorded and the band went ahead and put the album out. That whole story is, is interesting. If you ever have the inkling to go back because of how they all dealt with it, they kind of just like buried all their emotions and were like, isn't that very must, British? We must soldier on. And that's very British. Yeah. It was like very much like we just got to keep going. <laughs> Uh, but New Order turned out to be a great band, so it wasn't a terrible decision. I would think in most cases that would be an awful decision, but it, it was okay for them. Closer is great. Uh, I, I, I would like to say then I did not know Joy Division at that time. I didn't discover them again until the 90s. Now I think it's one of my top 10 albums of all time, so of course I'm going to recommend it. Also, the last thing I want to say, Henry, is that I, there is a theme developing this month, which is interesting to me, I, and it's it's one of the reasons I like doing this show Mm -hmm. is four of the five records we're going to review today, I think are exemplifying the same arc where bands are going from being these post-punk guitar based angular bands to Mm -hmm. exploring synthesizers and exploring new avenues of sound, which actually these four records are uh, leading us to new wave Mm -hmm. to what people think of as 80s music. So it's kind of neat that they've all kind of, loggerhead
0: here at the same episode that's true but i I think joy division was special in that the the reason i talked about the vocabulary is because what you might first think of as atonal becomes right does that make sense right like his delivery is is definitely not typical he he i think what you're going for is like at first listen you're like this guy's monotone right he only sings one note or it seems wrong but after a while it seems very right (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I, I can't even tell if there's anything wrong with it. Yes, I, I, don't yes.
0: know how to, I don't even know if I'm explaining it. It's one of the
1: first bands where I have to give the producer almost as much credit as a band member because uh, his vision for these songs was legendary. I mean, it, it turned out to be
0: right on. He was
1: and dead spot on.
0: The cover was designed by uh, Martin, Martin, with a Y, Adkins, and Peter S- uh, Saville. Seville? Do you know? Seville? Saville? Mm-hmm with a photograph uh, of the Appiani family tomb in Genoa's monumental ceremony of Stagliano. So that's on the sleeve. The image was taken by Bernard Pierre Wolfe in the year 1978, but Peter uh, Seville said that when he learned that Ian Curtis had, uh, had committed suicide, he had a lot of concern about the album design because it was a tomb on the front. Right. I mean, could you imagine? It's, it almost seemed preordained. Right. It's almost like-, like... And that adds to this sort of mysterious allure. I think that really does add, to, at least when, when you listen to it now, it adds this mysterious vibe you know, to it. Because you know in a few short months, he's, you know, from the recording, he's going to be dead. So one more thing. The opening track, it's called um, Atrocity Exhibition. It's based on a book, right? A bunch of I think there are a bunch of stories that are linked, to, separate stories, but they're linked together. So J.G. Ballard book. J, oh, Also, you know it. Well, I do I didn't know it until doing my research either. But I know J.G.
1: Ballard because he wrote some other stuff I read. But tell tell it's me the It's based story. on that. One of the stories is called "Why I Want
0: to Fuck Ronald Reagan." <laughs> you like that, huh? I like it because it's the, it's the same month that Ronald Reagan got the Republican
1: nomination. <laughs> Well, for those of you that might know J.G. Bauer, too, he wrote another book called Crash. Another one that was turned into a movie recently that you might have saw was called High Rise. Did you mm, see that? Mm, I didn't see that Okay. One. All of his books are kind of socialist things, but High Rise is cool. It's a newer movie, but... It's about um, the different floors on the high rise. The people at the top are like the upper class, and the people at the bottom are like the lower class. Oh, really? And the people at the bottom revolt and start moving their way up, and anarchy ensues in the middle. And it's kind of a neat book. But Sweet. Crash is the book you're thinking of where people get off on having sex when they're it, right. having car P- crashes. Peter
0: Bogdanovich, I think, did that. I think so, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so, so when I read that, too, I was like,
1: oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't realize Anyway,
0: that. I, I, I'm totally down with you. I can't praise the record enough, really. I feel like if you're a human being, you're supposed to be listening to this album. Yeah, so. it's a great one. And
1: with that said, here's a record that I think we're both going to say is not that great, but I haven't talked to Henry about it yet, so we'll find out. This is an album called Voices by Holland & Oates. And, Henry, the song we're going to play is what? We're going to play
0: You Make My Dreams. And if you don't know this one, you didn't listen to the radio at all in the, in the 80s.
1: i think i said when i was talking about closer how four of the five albums that we're going to talk about today kind of exemplify this same sort of theme i'm actually going to say in a weird way all five of them do because i think in a in a much more terrible way hall and oates were trying to they they were acknowledging post-punk music and trying to become more new way uh with this record did you
0: know the other ones the like did you listen to any hall and oates before this record
1: well, I know, I know all the hits, so I knew they were, like, Blue-Eyed Soul before this because they did, like, Sarah Smiles. I don't know that one. I, it,
0: I don't think I know that song. <laughs> what? Stop laughing at me. <laughs> I didn't pull it up. Maybe I have heard it and just don't know it. <laughs> the, reason, the reason I'm
1: laughing, folks, is because I know it so well, but I can't sing high enough to, like, sing it for Henry, so...
0: I have never heard this song Oh please Wait for the chorus Oh wait It's coming I heard it It echoes the chorus right there When I feel cold You want me And when I feel I can't go on You come and hold me It's you and me Okay. All right. First of all, I didn't know that that was them. (laughs) (laughs) That sucks, right? (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, I knew the song. I I I knew the chorus and I knew part of the the verse. Well, okay. So I'm I'm about to rip this record, but.
1: I am a closet. I'm a. I'm a closet fan of two bands from the '80s: Journey and Hall and Oates. So I did know about their '70s. They're from Philadelphia, and they were definitely enamored with soul music. And think of them as the '70s white version of Bill Biv Devoe. Um, <laughs> the '70s white version
0: of Bell Bill Biv, De, right? But there's only two of them. But they love duop, and they love um, the they the Philly sound, right? They're probably considered the. Most successful rock duo. In well, but history, here's the thing: right?
1: like, so they they totally changed their mo when they got to voices in the '80s, and they kind of dominated '80s pop MTV. They, so
0: I know they produced this but themselves, before, but this was, but that was, um, this is the first one they did. First album um, that they produced themselves. Oh yes, right. Yes.
1: But but let me let me back up. Their '70s stuff is completely different,
0: but. It's the same in
1: that if you listen to the record that Sarah Smiles is on, Mm -hmm. it's still a bunch of filler. It's just 70s white boy soul filler and Sarah Smiles. But my problem with voices is the same problem I have with all Hall & They make great singles. They make wonderful greatest hits records. Don't go deep dive a whole album. I think me and you have argued this about Journey before too. Journey were incapable of doing a whole album that didn't have – Three parts filler to every one part good. And that's what bothers me about voices. I kind of like
0: the singles. The problem is... But there's some garbage in there. But there's, there's a few misses, right? Not a few. There's more misses than hits. Let me tell you, I thought, I swore to you, that some of the songs that were on this were covers, but they weren't. They're not, no. They wrote them. yes. Which was impressive.
1: No, they to are cool. me. They are good singers. That's what bothers and, me about writing all this filler.
0: And I really liked uh, parts of I, it's Oates. Oates is the guitar player. Just call him by the name Oates. <laughs> I call <laughs> him Oates. All I mean, the I time. know it's Daryl Hall, but he's just Oates. He's just Oates with the I mean, it's John Oates. Sure. So, but I didn't. I didn't listen to this with the benefit of of knowing the old stuff. So I'm listening to this like first first round through. I'm aware that this is their ninth album. All right. I know that they've had a lot of work before this. And some of the things that I read said, uh, well, how did you get such a great sound? they said, we just had a band, a great band that knew how to do stuff. I'm not buying it. Um, They, they, they took some effort to punch this and to try to dial in that, that special sauce you're talking about.
1: But I want to get across the fact that this was definitely done as a commercial thing. They like Lindsey Buckingham did when he did yes, Tusk, I'm sure. They caught wind. They were not but, into New Wave. They were blue eyed soul guys, but they were like, We need to catch on to this M T V thing. But like we al- need to get in there and make some
0: rock and roll tunes. But almost half of this record, almost half of it, is like the most solid, durable stuff.
1: Yeah, but it's like I'm, I'm not I'm not Discrediting their ability. Know. I'm just saying it wasn't like they did it out of a love of now we're going to be pop superstars because we yeah. love pop music. It was done as a almost a conniving um money thing. Yeah. Like we need hits. But they're they're really good songs. But here's my big problem, Henry, which is if you can write the hits that were about to come in the eighties yeah. from Hollow Notes, and we're gonna end up having to talk about Hollow Notes a lot. Oh, really? Going forward, because they've got a lot of eighties hits that you probably Obviously, don't remember.
0: Well, I, I didn't. I, but, but, I didn't know that. One. But with that, but said, I knew a lot of these songs. Why can't they write
1: a whole album that way? This album has songs on it that are obviously turds,
0: um, like Africa. Turd. That song's terrible. The very first song on the record, Diddy Doo Wop, is terrible. Yes. You know what song is underrated? United <laughs> State. That song's not bad. Did you? Did In did, terms of lyrical content, did, you like the lyrics to that? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I found <laughs> that song to be even like unlistenable. Yeah, it wasn't unlistenable, but
1: I mean, also as a rule, don't let Oates sing lead. <laughs> did
0: you know? I mean, they wrote "Every Time You Go Away." Of course, they did. I didn't know that. I'd never heard this version in my life. I had always heard the Paul Carrick. Every time you go, I guess away. I'm such a Hall and Oates.
1: Hits fan that I guess. I, I'm. I'm really shocked that you don't. I assumed everybody knew.
0: No, I didn't know. So thing. I was impressed by the fact that they wrote the songs, and and maybe I heard them in a different place, or maybe <laughs> I didn't. And they were all jammed together on one record. <laughs> so I was more. I was probably more impressed with the record than you were. Yeah, I was. I i I love the hits. I and had no I thought the guitar the hits, work was pretty decent, but the stuff the, the misses are just.
1: Filler. And it sounds like they're filler. It sounds like they're like, I need 10 songs. They
0: did a really crap version of You Lost That Love and Feeling. That's a cover. That's the only one.
1: Yeah, that's a Righteous Brothers cover, but mm-hmm. that that cover is the definitive version. If you watch Top Gun, they're not singing the Righteous Brothers version; they're doing the the Hall note. <laughs> that's like the definitive
0: version. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, I can't recommend it, but I gotta say, I mean, the the, no, the it's song is not worth your time. So- Just put a greatest hits uh, Daryl Hall. That, right. That's it, what I was gonna don't, say. Don't go back and listen to. Don't uh, make a record of it. Like, if you're gonna go listen to Hall & Oates, go listen to the greatest hits. Don't listen to this radio. Yes, there's, there's, there's yeah.
1: very few bands that I'll do that because I'm, I'm a guy that's a completist. But for mm. Journey or a Hall & Oates, just do the greatest hits thing and skip the rest. So I'm <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna not recommend this one. Is there anything else you want to say about it, Henry, before we move on? I, I'm just so happy that you were. <laughs> That you missed out on this stuff and now you're, you're discovering it.
0: It was, it's interesting. The only thing that I'll say is even though I'm telling you, don't listen to the whole record. I need, I need people to know that Hall of Notes wrote some very durable songs. You got to give it to them. I'm going to give them. I mean, their hits. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to tell you their (laughs) hits are fucking amazing. But would you say, like, here's the other comparison I wanted to make. Would you say that this is their sellout record, sort of like Billy Joel's bro- w- Broken Windows sellout? No, record. I'll, tell, like you, it's the I'll same tell you why kind. it's not. It, it's I, more cohesive than that.
1: No, I, no, I think I think it's trying to be a thing. No, the problem I, I have agreeing with you on that is y- you don't understand. There's four more getting ready to come in, and hit you in the face. <laughs> They're just starting. This is not their sellout record. This is getting ready to be their sellout
0: record. <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. But if you listen, leave me alone. But, I'm a but they're not. Man. It's not. It's like a sellout, but it's not completely over. She's a
1: man eater. Yeah. I mean, you're getting ready to hit a whole swath of hits,
0: Henry. That I you're going to be like so. So, but I'm saying, I'm just talking about this record. Like you consider it on its own, yes. it's not the same level of sellout. My two problems. That one. Well, no, because I again, Billy I, Joel, we ripped him a new one because. Because he but tried he to co-opt, but he wasn't sound. good at it. He was it, trying either. to rip off every sound that he could. But he's not it was really. Any, he was all over the. He's map. all
1: over the place. I didn't think he was very good at it. Right. Hall and Oates are like, this. This almost bothers me. They're like evil geniuses who are like, that oh, knows.
0: new wave's gonna be hot. We can do it we in new. We can way. we can leverage Philly soul into here real good.
1: We we have no problem. We can dominate. Like I, I imagine and if they they they'd right. got their hands on Joy Division, they'd be like, "Is that what people want?" Is that want? the new show? I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would have wrote a hit that you heard more than any Joy Division <laughs> song. So it's almost like they have no soul, but it, I can't. Their hits are unassailable. So yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it's great. Yeah, the next album uh, is by a band called Adam and the Ants, and the record is called Kings of the Wild Frontier. And this is Dog Eat Dog.
0: So do we have a date disclaimer on this one?
1: Yes, we, the next two okay. we have a date
0: disclaimer on. So okay. I don't
1: want folks to to hit us up and be mad about the dates. I know that these two are not in the correct spot. The reason this one is not is because um All Music had it listed with the wrong date when I put it in the in the list and I'm doing my research this week I realized there's no way it could have come out uh, in July because it was Still being recorded, I believe.
0: All music, you guys. Well, yeah. you
1: know, everybody makes a mistake every once in a while. So, so don't jump us for that. We know this one's out. Um, I'm going to tell you without telling you what the next record is. The next one is out, but it's on purpose. I moved it here because it was one of those things where the month later in the year mm-hmm. that it appears is so power, so packed full of records. I had to move one or two so that we could cover it in two episodes. Okay. Um, so that's the only reason I moved that one. Cool. Okay. Good, good. And I had a shortage in July. I only had four, so that left a spot open. But oh. this one didn't come out in July, so we're being upfront about it, I hope. Yes. So, Henry, talk about
0: it. So, I, you're going to make me talk about it? I, I, I can start. Okay, i So a lot this a say about it. I, I think I do, too, but I'm not sure if I can clearly articulate it or not. Here's what I know. I know that Adam Ant had, had a man, it was Adam and the Ants, and that Malcolm McLaren took all those guys away, and went to form Bow Wow Wow. Yes, he did, and um, and so he was left with trying to do another to do another project, and pulled some guys together to make this album. That's correct.
1: Now, what I didn't know before I looked into this record was how big of a cultural phenomenon, on a cult level, the first Adam and the Ants record was, which I had never heard of. This which is, is called, it, right? No, it was called Dirk Wears White Socks. What? So in my I research, this was the first one. No, in my research for this record, I went back and listened to Dirk Wears White Socks, and it's much more um, angular, pre-New Wave, New Wavey, synthy guitar, bass, definitely much more of a cult type record. Cult, I, I'm a cult. I mean, I can see where it had a cult following. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Um, I, so I it's nothing see, like It's this not one? really a mainstream uh, type record. When he reformed the Ants with the new Band, he had a vision of a record that was going to be an amalgamation of all this stuff, this underground stuff that he was doing, and uh, a pop sound. He thought this record was going to explode and take over the world. Like he had had a vision of a of a sound that was going to be, you know, the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was, which I kind of missed it, but I didn't realize this record went to number one in the charts had 3 number 1 singles in the UK. And this is all the UK, not America. Yeah. Um it also won the Brit Award for best album in 1982 even though it came out in 1980 because it was around so long in Great Britain. I didn't realize how subversive this guy was to uh, English culture like he was a cult figure in the same way Boy George was later like people flocked to him. They had not just groupies, they had a following like mm-hmm. they were a
0: gang, almost like a clockwork orange kind really? of um, people that call themselves the ant army. You know, I wonder if that accounts for like, I know that he had problems later on with stalkers and stuff. He like, definitely had like a, that he was some sort of visionary thing. Like people show up, like I'm talking like a Glenn Close boiling bunny kind of person. Yeah. Very much like show uh, up in his house and shit.
1: Yeah. Like there was a serious thing where we saw him. I feel like my, my, remembrance of him was it was a jokey kind of interesting thing cuz he and we'll talk about this a little bit more i think the, the wearing the face paint and mm-hmm. the the outfit that kind of like vaguely native american and mm-hmm. all that but but let me just talk about the record for a minute um the difference between the first record and this one i i thought there were some interesting things he heard this thing called a burundi drum mm-hmm. sound on a tape that Malcolm McLaren had given him mm-hmm. after Malcolm McLaren stole the ants. He gave him a tape with like 10 songs on it when Adam was explaining to him about his vision for this amazing record. And Malcolm McLaren said, I think you should take musical ideas from some of these songs. And one of the songs was a uh, African Burundi drum mm-hmm. album. That was basically just drum sounds. That is the coolest part of King of the Wild Frontier. See, is I- this crazy uh, dual drummer for me, Burundi yeah. drum sound. That's the thing that irritated me the most. Well, see, I think that's the most interesting part, because if you, if you don't like that, then you're going to really like Dirk Wears White Socks. Maybe I should go back and listen to it. It sounds a lot like that with regular drum. I really wanted to like this one. Well, let me say that, too. I, With all that said and all that backstory, something about this record did
0: nothing for me, because me I wanted this Let me tell you what great. I think it is, and let, maybe you see if you agree with me. I think it just rings hollow. It all seems like a pose and a facade. I I feel like everything he's doing is sort of in the name of of, um, tongue-in-cheek, campy, self-aggrandizing stuff. And it it rings like, although it may sound good on the surface, there's like no substance to it, to me. Well, my first go-back-and-listen... I, my whole critique that I
1: was going to put forward was that the next album we're going to review sounded to me like everything that this guy wished he was, but couldn't really pull off because it sounded kind of fake and trite. He was trying so hard. Well, like the, but he didn't have the chops. Well, like the, but but. With that said, when I started doing my research, the effect this guy had on a lot of people was this was blew their mind. Right, and like some of the, the little thing, the little touches like the Burundi drums. Not a lot of people, not even Peter Gabriel yet, was
0: using right. African drum sound.
1: But I, I just agree with you; the superficial cl- bits were too superficial. And so,
0: as a result, I think I found the Burundi drums as like this cloying affect. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't buy it. Um, and, and, I, and and even though, like on its surface, the guitars were were pleasant and all of that, I just felt like it was all si- all style, no substance. Right. And that's and, the worst, you know, I hate to say that, but it's true.
1: Well, the, the more I read about it, the more I wanted to like it because of all these people gushing over it and saying how big of a cultural phenomenon it was. But I just could not find a way in. So I'm going to say then I thought they were a cute, funny, weird, they dressed up like Indians kind of thing. I like that stuff. I thought that was, you know. As a kid, that was exciting to me. Now yeah. it just rings hollow. But I want to talk about the cultural appropriation Um Part of that because that you can't do that now, mm-hmm. and that is something that we brushed over in the eight in 1980. Mm-hmm. But he basically was wearing, um, you know, Native American outfits and painting his face mm-hmm. like he was a brave Up
0: right across here, right Right
1: across his nose. And um, he wore this chest thing that's on the album cover that is a uh, uh, Native American braves would wear with no oh, shirt on, really, but he was wearing it over like a <laughs> uh, a, a a British naval jacket. Right. So he was mixing all these things. But again, I, do you, do you I, I don't know how that sits with, you know, like if a millennial opened this record, I think the first thing right off the bat, he'd be like, this guy's a ugh. racist.
0: Have you seen new pictures of Adamant? Ad- you know, he's yes. in trying to see the, the pirate hat and all that. Yes. It's kind of like,
1: he reminds me a lot of boy George where it's like he yeah. costume is part of his thing. And that, and that's another thing that makes me go, oh, it was all, substance or style. over Yeah. Substance. Uh, one more thing I want to mention just that's interesting that people might not know the ants that are on um, King of the Wild Frontier, the new band that he put together. Um, I, I was looking through at some of the people in there. Um, Amco Peroni was the guitar player. He had been in Susie and the Banshees. Oh yeah. Before he joined and Chris Hughes who played the drums on the record, Uh, If you look at the liner notes, he's listed as the name Merrick. He didn't list his real name because he produced the record as well, and he listed himself as the producer. Oh, Uh, Chris Hughes went on to play drums and produce um, three Tears for Fears records, including (laughs) um, songs from the big chair. Which is the one, like the big one, the big one, Everybody and then the wants one to rule be- the, world. The, the, the record before that, which we will review, which was huge in England, which I didn't realize until I went back and looked at. But so he was—he's like a super producer who still produces records now, but he was one of the ants. So hmm. I thought, wow, that was interesting that these guys
0: um, came from backgrounds. One so of was. the se- the the ones on this oh, record. on the second record, yeah, on the yeah. one
1: we're reviewing. Yes, the first set of ants. You were right; they went on to become Bow Wow Wow. Yeah. yeah. And um so yeah, I'm not going to recommend this record as much as I wanted to like it. Um, I just couldn't bring myself around to it. I will say if you do go back and listen to it, don't go back and find the un-mas- uh, remastered version because it'll sound really thin to you. If you're going to listen to it, listen to it remastered because I was going to rip the shit out of it <laughs> until I found the remastered version and then I was like... Oh, okay. you I least like that. the that. I you, at least you, like the drums. He takes to me right.
0: that. Right. <laughs> I was like, this ain't like the same record I'm listening to. <laughs> right. All right, Henry, t- tell us about our last record. This is going to be Crocodiles, the album by Echo and the Bunnymen.
1: Yes, the debut album by Echo and the Bunnymen, and this song is the second single called Rescue.
0: Now, Henry, this is another band that I love a lot. And I, I mean, have to, you stuffed I have to them. Say, you stuffed them all, all the good ones on here.
1: <laughs> I mean, you can't. I have to say. And again, uh, this record did not come out. Softballs. In July of 1980. It yeah. came out in December, but December was overpacked. I will say this. Um, I just recently bought the newest Echo and the Bunnyman record, which is a, um, they redid a bunch of their old song mm-hmm. and they redid Rescue on this new album and I've been listening to it a lot and I like it better than the crocodiles were. <laughs> uh, so I was tempted to play it on this show, but I, I had, was like, dude, I, we I can't had do that, that. that same
0: problem. I had that um, same problem
1: because it was recontextualized. So well, we, had, on I, our I, other
0: pod, we were talking about, and like on our, you know, non music pod, we were talking about music, but, uh, we were talking about the, uh, them, it's not remastered. What do they call it? Recontextual. What are they really? Yeah, they use some other word for it. But they so were basically redoing it, yeah. all their old songs. And so I've been listening to their work with his sort of older, deeper voice, right. In it. And so you know, then you go back to Crocodiles. So you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so I, I would have told you before we started reviewing um, this record that Crocodiles is probably my middle of the pack favorite Echo and the Bunnymen record. Um, I was really shocked to find so many people find it to be their best record. Um, a lot of the research I did, a lot of people said that Echo and the Bunnymen peaked when they did Crocodiles. I was always under the impression that um, Ocean Rain was like the
0: masterpiece. You can't peak when it's just your first one.
1: Well, don't tell that to the strokes. Um, but... With that said, I really, really, really enjoyed going back and re-listening to Crocodiles for this podcast. And I forgot how strong a record it was. And I would say Rescue is probably one of my five favorite all-time Echo songs, and it is on Crocodile.
0: He sounds a lot, um, how do I, although the new work... I hate to talk about that when I'm talking about this other record, but the new work sounds, uh, sounds great. It's mic'd well. You can hear his voice. His voice has got a lot more character to it than, than these days, but you can hear a lot of sort of youthful anxiousness. And so I didn't understand. I don't know that I understood the Jim Morrison. References. That's interesting. when I first listened to this.
1: Because going back, I see it a lot more than I thought I, I would. I, I never, mean, yeah. I never bought that when I was a kid. Everybody said he sounds like Jim Morrison. I was like,
0: Right, I didn't get it till later.
1: Now I'll tell you where I did get it, and I thought it was lazy journalism. Was they did a um cover of a of a door song right, for the Lost right. Boys soundtrack? I was like, Well, duh, yeah, he but sounds of course. Like, of course right? But now listening to Crocodiles, I did hear some Jim Morrison copping in there. I did want to say this whole this record fits in perfectly with the other four because, Henry, when I listened to this record, mm-hmm. I felt like it did for me exactly what King of the Wild Frontier was trying to do. <laughs> right. Like, this thing has energy and power, and these guys sound like they, they, maybe they don't know what they're doing, but they give 100% of a fuck about what they're doing. So, you know, Whereas Adam and the Ants kind of sounded like it's all style over substance. Yeah. This
0: sounds like these guys mean it. But they weren't like, so many people called this record dark and moody and I didn't, I didn't really, didn't really strike me. You know what I think though? I think it's, I
1: think you get that label because of the intensity, joy division as well. Those guys fucking meant it more than anything. They weren't worried about making hits. They weren't worried about making money. They were just worried about making these songs. And I think that comes through to some people as dark and moody, not just, um, intense. Like Will Sargent's guitar playing is intense. But here's some of the things that I noticed going back and listening to this. Will Sargent does not play chords. What? He's not a chord guitar player. He's like a line player. So a lot of the um, rhythm stuff you hear on this is the bass and drums together, and and the bass player is amazing. But he's carrying a lot of that kind of – it's almost like he's a rhythm guitar player. Mm -hmm. And Will Sargent is putting together these killer riffs and these lines – which are beautiful, but I think it makes Echo and the Bunnymen sound very angular uh-huh. and very sparse, which is cool, because you can hear, like, through them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can hear all this space in between them, because there's not a guitar track going a a a a g, g g g. You know what I mean? It's like he's playing
0: notes, which I think is really cool. They But they were forced to get a uh, a, a drummer.
1: That was another point I was going to make. I didn't really know this until I read this. And Ian uh, McCullough denies this now because he thinks it's not cool. But they were called Echo and the Bunnymen because they originally started without a drummer. They had a drum machine, and the drum machine was Echo, and the rest of them were the Bunnymen. So
0: they were the Bunnymen. Right,
1: which I think is great because he always calls them the Bunnymen now. He never says Echo and the Bunnymen. He always says the Bunnymen, which I think makes makes a liar of him when he
0: says that it wasn't named. Why do I always think of Donnie Darko whenever I hear the word bunny men?
1: Cause you love the movie. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Weird because of that bunny.
1: I don't know. It's interesting because I think I like the name, um, uh, the bunny men better than Echo and the Bunnyman. Like, I don't know why he didn't just admit to it and say, we dropped the echo cause we got a drummer. <laughs> they got a great drummer. Uh, they, they actually lucked out and got a wonderful drummer. Is it, Peter DeFritis. DeFritis. Yeah. Peter DeFritis. I can't ever say his name. Kind of in the same way that the Clash kind of backed into Topper Hedden or whatever. Oh, I, yeah. I, where it ended up, if they had not gotten a great drummer, I don't think things would have gone as well. He turned out to be a, a wonderful drummer. And apparently, I, he's the one that died, right?
0: Yeah, he died. In an he died accident. like eighty nine.
1: And I think when he died is when Ian McCullough left the band and they went and made a, a record without him, which
0: was crazy. But that's, wasn't that's crazy. Down, you was, like that record, right? Yeah, you're did. the only human. I'm baby. the only person that likes "Don't Tell a Soul" and reverberation is and reverberation. Called? I think so, <laughs> but uh, I but could you, forgive him for it because I think the music's great on it. Yeah, I, it. I think that Will Sargent became a better guitar player after this record. I, I don't do too. think he was bad here at all, but I think he got even better. Oh, I do too. I think, and I,
1: here's another thing that's going to, uh, the purists are going to hate, but what? I think by the time he got to Electro Fiction, he's
0: just an amazing guitar player, Yeah, which was another band. That was a mistake. Oh, I love that record. No, they shouldn't. They should have just called it Echo. Oh, well, they should have called it. Yeah. Echo yeah. and the Bunnyman, but it's a great record. Something about that.
1: So Crocodiles, I'm going to recommend it, Henry. Yeah. I'm going to big say up. definitely go back and listen to. No Tell doubt. me, uh, as we wrap things up, what is your recommend for the month? Cause this is a so hard one. Of
0: all of these. Yes. Uh, the one that I'm going to recommend is going to be closer by Joy Division. I think that, um, any, any person uh, who likes music should go back and listen to that. It's one of the most important records, uh, ever made. Okay, and I'm going to
1: – I'm just – because I've recommended three of these records this month, it was a hard thing to pick one if you could only listen to one. But I'm going to say Freedom of Choice by Devo because I think, in my opinion, at least for me, it gets the least – um it gets the least real listening to because it's got Whippet on it. So People think of Whippet, and that's all they think of. Right, right. And I think, and you want them to listen to the other. And ones. I think, yeah, it deserves like a re-listen. I almost feel like in my circles, closer and Crocodiles have already been. They're a given. They're like They're, Rock One Hundred
0: and One, right? Right.
1: But but Freedom of Choice um, really deserves better than just being the album that Whippet is on. Excellent, right? So. Uh, Henry, are you going to tell them uh, yeah, how they can know, get in
0: touch with us? Right, shutting down July. Thanks for listening to our show. If you like the records we're choosing, or even if you don't, please rate and review us and talk to us on uh, on Twitter. We are uh, at Eighties Exposed or Eighties Music Exposed on uh, at Gmail. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher share it with your friends um you might be interested in our sister pod it's been well underway since last year we're up into the 30 something episodes right now it's called the no gd band podcast we're a little more current a little less wistful maybe a little less professional but we talk about events of the day we get off topic and we generally uh generally kind of run it into the ground uh any other staved bullets chris well, I did want
1: to say this, Henry. Uh, next month is kind of exciting to me because it's not as exciting. I think we've hit so many records that we know well already that I'm looking forward to a month where there's some records I don't know so well. Yeah. yeah. We've got one by, um, Paul Simon, one by Don Williams. Don Williams, who's that? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to find out <laughs> this week. Um, I've got one by Susie and the Banshees, uh, your favorite band, Black Flag. Oh, my God, I get to listen to Black Flag. Yep, and a little bit of ACDC. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you guys next time. Hey, Chris, guess what? What's that?
0: I made you a mixtape.